from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans, and yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. On this episode of Newt's World, I just have to share with you my summary view of Biden's first 100 days. I spent the weekend thinking about this, and the more I thought about it, the more I realized that the only way you could capture how bad the first 100 days is, is to recognize that it's the most radical first 100 days in American history, unless you count the period where Lincoln's presiding over the breakup of the Union and the beginning of the Civil War. So taking that out, because that's truly extraordinary, of all of the other first 100 days, nothing comes close to Biden's first 100 days as a purely radical explosion of ideas and policies that are a fundamental break with the American tradition. In some ways, the place to start is immigration. The report came out that in the first three months of this year, we had more illegal immigrants coming into America than in all of last year. And it's accelerating. So you have to assume that by the end of the year, we are probably going to have three to six times as many illegal immigrants as they had in Trump's last year. And what makes it fascinating is they don't call it a crisis because if you're a left-wing anti-American zealot, you want lots of illegal people. That's why the New York Democrats passed a law that pays $15,000 to an illegal immigrant, much more than any American would get. And think about the signal that sends in 
El Salvador or Honduras or Nicaragua or, for that matter, worldwide. You know, the Americans want you to break the law and show up, and they'll give you $15,000, which is far more than people are going to make in most countries in that amount of time. So you've had this extraordinary explosion at the border of illegal immigration to such a degree that the weakest position in terms of popular approval that Biden currently has is controlling the border, where he's at 37% approved. But I was also struck, Biden has been propped up just as he was during the campaign by a loving left-wing news media eager to protect him from any negatives and to maximize the positives. And yet, despite that, you live in a tale of two worlds. The net job approval for Biden right now is 52%, which sounds pretty good compared to Trump, who was at 42% at this stage, having been assaulted by the entire national establishment for all of 16 and the opening months of 17, with a series of lies, including the entire Russian lie. The only other person comparable is Gerald Ford, who, remember, doesn't win an election. Ford is nominated by President Nixon, named by the Congress when Spiro Agnew, the vice president, has to resign in a scandal. And Ford, who's not very well known by the country, and who very early in his administration pardons Richard Nixon to sort of put Watergate behind us. So Ford was at 48%. So Trump, 42, Ford, 48. The next person in the post-World War II period is actually Joe Biden at 52%. When I first learned this, I was really struck with the difference between the two ways you could see the same reality. On the one hand, you could say, wow, he's 10 points stronger than his immediate predecessor. On the other hand, you could say, wow, he's like 31 points weaker than John F. Kennedy. He's 35 points weaker than Harry Truman. He is 21 points weaker than Dwight David Eisenhower. Reagan, by the way, at this stage was at 73% approval. And you look at this and you realize you have a tale of two stories. You have the elite media's desire to convince us that Biden is doing really well. And you have the factual historic reality that compared with the average net in the first 100 days, he's the third weakest after Trump and Jerry Ford. And he's third weakest by a big margin. So I then began to think about exactly what we were living through and the degree to which the news media is desperately trying to prop up Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. And what hit me was that the first 100 days, taken as a collective behavior, is far and away the most radical period we've ever seen in modern American history. In fact, I've concluded that when somebody is considered for a job in the Biden administration, one of the key questions is, are you really sure that you're crazy enough to serve here and that you have enough left-wing views to be part of us? For example, do you really use the term mother and father? That's a big break. You shouldn't do that. Do you actually think that America is more important than China? You're not supposed to do that. Do you actually think that police may be better than criminals? You shouldn't do that. So think about what a secret Biden checklist must be like to find people who are this loony, that it makes sense to them to get in rooms and suggest policies that are crazy. So let's go through and look at why this is the most radical first 100 days in American history. Let's start with immigration. Immigration is always going to be a challenge because living in the United States, 
is so much better than living in many other countries that people naturally, legitimately want to come here. I don't blame them. I mean, you know, where would you like to raise your children? And by the way, this is, I think, the greatest proof that we are not an institutionally racist country. How come all of these people, what the left would call people of color, but a term, by the way, not used by many of the people of color, who think of it as condescending white liberals who are in an indirect way putting them down. I have to make sure, for example, in Virginia, that we don't have advanced math because people of color might not do well at advanced math. And the way you get to equal opportunity is you eliminate the top. Now, that is a commitment to mediocrity and destruction, which the Chinese applaud every morning. They get up and they think, God, it's so great to have the American liberals destroy the country and it makes our job so much easier. So people come here. Why do they come here? Because we're an institutionally racist country? Of course not. Because we have some kind of critical race theory in which we are all being oppressed. And by the way, remember, when Kamala Harris and Joe Biden talk about systemic racism, you have the vice president who served with an African-American who was elected president twice by the system. You have a vice president who was elected to the attorney general of California to be a U.S. senator from California and now to be vice president. So the system has done pretty well. And it's pretty hard to understand why Kamala Harris living in a nice multi-million dollar house, having a good life, sending her kids to elite schools, why she feels oppressed. fact is, America has been pretty good to her. But in any event, the immigration policy adopted by the left, and remember, in the campaign, many of the candidates of the Democratic Party said they were for open borders, including the now Vice President Harris. Well, that's essentially what we're getting. This has been a methodical process of undermining the American immigration system, a methodical process of undermining homeland security, a methodical process of opening the system up. So while the president of the United States runs around wearing a mask, and in some cases in ways that are embarrassingly stupid, you may have seen the picture of the 15 world leaders who are joined together by a video conference to talk about Earth Day, and there are 14 of them who look normal. And then there's one who is sitting there wearing a mask. Now, this is a mask in a video conference. I mean, you know, I understand that symbolic behavior on the left really matters. That's why Buttigieg rides his Suburban to a few blocks from work and then gets his bicycle out of the back and, and bicycles in so that symbolically he's proving that he is a good liberal without, of course, being inconvenienced. In the same setting, you have to say to yourself, what were Biden and his handlers thinking? You're going to sit in a TV studio. You're going to be by yourself. Nobody can get to you. It's okay. But he's now so committed to governing by symbolism that practical common sense gets wiped out. And so you end up with the same thing happening to our efforts on the border. With all this effort to get normal, everyday, law-abiding Americans to wear masks, to get vaccines, to get tested. We're accepting thousands and thousands of people across the border who do not get a test, do not have any kind of public health check, do not get a vaccination. And you say, oh, you have COVID here. Why don't you get on the bus? Somebody said that Biden had invented a grab and bus strategy. Where are they going? And, and who's picking where they go? I mean, does Billings, Montana get a few extra or a few less? Does 
Ann Arbor, Michigan get a few more or a few less? Who's making these decisions? Or is it just kind of all random behavior? We have 100 extra tickets. Let's give it to people and see where they show up. So immigration's a disaster. It will get worse. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Immediately behind immigration is crime. This administration is presiding over the largest increase in murders and non-fatal shootings in American history. The rate of increase is astonishing. And what is their answer to it? In Detroit, for example, where murders are up 23% and nonviolent shootings are up 53%, a Democratic congresswoman, Rashida Tlaib, is in favor of, quote, abolishing the police and closing all the prisons. Now imagine a policy which in the middle of a crime wave says, what we really need to do is get rid of the cops. I mean, you know, certainly arrests would go down dramatically. If there were no police, they couldn't arrest anybody. If they couldn't arrest anybody, think how good the statistic would look. On the other hand, you might not want to live in that neighborhood. So her answer to a 23% increase in murders in one year is to abolish the police and open up the prisons, which have literally, in Michigan alone, thousands and thousands of rapists, murderers, armed robbers, and carjackers. The Democrats have no ability to deal with crime. I've begun watching movies from the 1970s and early 80s because we're literally back in the period where Clint Eastwood became famous and others became famous based on the inability 
of the system to cope with crime. We have police precincts being burned down. I recently just got a copy of the Fort Apache, the Bronx, which is a 1981 Paul Newman movie about a police precinct in New York that's under siege from the local criminals. And it's amazing. We're reliving the pre-Giuliani world where the liberals all wring their hands. The editorial writers feel really sad for the criminals until they get mugged. The country is increasingly upset about it, and it's going to get worse. And the answer among Democrats is to strip the police of qualified immunity, which means that anybody who becomes a policeman is at risk of being sued and being bankrupted. And the result is that you now have a wave of what's called the blue flu, where people who are just reporting in sick and saying, I can't come to work. You also have a dramatic decline in the number of people applying to be policemen and a dramatic increase in the number of people who are retiring. So my prediction is that after the most radical first 100 days, you will see over the next year a substantial increase in crime compounded by the number of illegal immigrants who are from things like MS-13, the El Salvadorian gang, which likes to use knives on people because guns kill them too soon. Backing up immigration and crime as a problem is the degree to which this Biden administration and its allies in the Congress have unleashed the most overtly racist policies since the end of segregation. Now, it used to be Southern Democrats who were segregationists and who were overtly talking about race. Now it is Democrats across the whole country who have adopted race as a strategy and who explain everything based on race. They are trying to polarize the country based on race, and because they currently dominate the government, they're trying to push what's called critical race theory. This is the theory that you're really a racist, even if you don't know you're a racist. And in fact, if you think you're not a racist, that's proof that you really are even bigger racist than you thought you were. So you're a racist. We just want to know whether you are a self-aware racist or whether you are hiding from your own racism. Then they have the whole concept of systemic racism, which is an impossibility. And then they have the desire to retrain everybody, which requires a series of big lie campaigns. So, for example, they've come up with the concept of Jim Crow too. Jim Crow was the Democrat-imposed Southern racism that was designed to oppress African Americans. Virtually all of it, by the way, done by Democrats, the Republicans, for a series of reasons, starting with the fact that they were the party that fought to preserve the Union, uh, had a bias uh, in favor of integration and against segregation, none of which, of course, would appear in any modern left-wing history book. So you end up with a big lie campaign, of which the most obvious is Biden deciding to deliberately smear the state of Georgia. Let's be clear. This was really a project that involved inventing a reform bill that didn't do any of the things that the reform bill does. The best example, and I think this was driven by Stacey Abrams and a group of very clever white woke radicals. Abrams actually is one of the great con jobs of our time because she's essentially funded by white radicals to go around and pretend that her primary interest is African Americans, unless, of course, she has to do what the white radicals want which is why she ended up at one point briefly favoring boycotting Georgia until she remembered that she wanted to run for governor of Georgia. And you really can't run having advocated boycotting your own state. But she came up with Jim Crow 2 as a website two weeks before the Georgia bill was written. The Georgia reform bill, in fact, 
has more safeguards, is more open to voting, and is more legitimate than about 40 states of the country, including Biden's home state of Delaware. But that didn't matter. What mattered was that they were going to smear the bill and use that as a wedge to prove that all Republicans are racist and repolarize the country once again on race. And in a fascinating way, the most blatant lie was the argument that the bill would not allow people to get water. And there's this sad period, including a pitch by the mayor of Atlanta, who's talking about how it gets so hot in August. And she's so worried about people who are not going to be allowed to have water while they stand in line. It's literally totally a lie. If you read the bill, the bill says that the election officials can give you water, period. It's literally in the bill. Biden stated the big lie in one of his press conferences, then repeated it again and again and again, even though everybody, including the Washington Post, which gave him four Pinocchios and said it was a total lie, it just didn't matter because Biden, in addition to being the most radical first hundred days in American history, also basically embodies the Humpty Dumpty tradition that words mean whatever they say they mean. So infrastructure actually means whatever they want it to mean. Having bipartisan support means whatever they want it to mean. And the Georgia bill means what they want it to mean, not what the bill says. And this is part of a pattern that goes on all across the entire system because what they want to do is so radical and so out of touch with normal behavior that they can't tell the truth. They can't survive if they tell the truth. A great deal of their so-called infrastructure bill and a great deal of the bills they've already passed really is about paying off corrupt, incompetent, big institutions. No group has gotten more money for showing up less often than the teachers' unions, but they're at the heart of the Democratic Party, and the combination of left-wingism and corruption has really crippled the United States. In fact, I've argued that the teachers' unions are the best allies the Chinese communists have. But every day the teachers' unions fail to teach children is a day the Chinese communists are getting a bigger advantage in competing with us in science and technology and in productivity. They also, because they know that they're right at the end of being able to win inside the normal system, they're desperate to try to make the District of Columbia a state, which will almost certainly not happen, in part because the District of Columbia, that's Washington, D.C., is written into the Constitution and was a deliberate decision by the Founding Fathers who had seen riots in Philadelphia when the provisional government was based in Philadelphia. And they were convinced that you could not give any one state the ability to dominate the federal capital to the disadvantage of all the other states. So the Founding Fathers literally wrote the District of Columbia into the Constitution. I recently did an interview with Attorney General Wilson of South Carolina, who led a group of state attorneys general who have indicated in a letter to the Senate, that they will all collectively file suit if the bill passes. They are convinced that the Supreme Court will simply not accept the legislative creation of the District of Columbia as a state. But if you're the left and you know that you're losing ground every year, you are desperate to have a little insurance policy, and D.C. statehood would give you two extra senators because the District of Columbia is so overwhelmingly Democrat. If you're a Democrat, the idea of D.C. statehood is like manna from heaven. The administration also follows a policy, and it's almost ironic. Where Trump was for America first, openly talked about America first, 
I think it's fair to say that the Biden administration is for America last, that they're rejoining the Paris Accord on climate as a huge gift to the Chinese in particular, because it'll put America at a massive disadvantage. Their commitment to electric cars in the present environment is a huge gift to China, because 90% of the batteries in the world are made in China. Their commitment to getting rid of fossil fuels, where we had become energy independent and had the largest production in the world, is a huge gift to Iran and to Russia, both of whom will take great advantage of the increased price to be able to build up their military and build up their research capabilities. Every time you turn around, there's this America last quality. And and I thought one of the places that really broke through, and I really understood it, was watching the night of the Minnesota verdict coming in, a great moment in time to be able to say, the system works. A man was killed. There was an investigation. A police officer was arrested. He was tried. He was found guilty of all three counts. Now, that was a moment to say to the country, the system works. Justice can be done in America. It was a white policeman. It was an African-American male. Nonetheless, the system found the white policeman guilty. But that didn't fit the narrative that Biden and Harris want. So they went out and gave, I thought, a horrifyingly anti-American speech in which they went back to this whole idea of systemic racism. Now, what made it particularly tough in my mind was that they were faced with the reality that two weeks earlier in Anchorage, Alaska, at the first meeting between the Chinese foreign minister and the American Secretary of State, there was a blunt, hostile, contemptuous 20-minute lecture from the Chinese on the fact that America is a systemically racist country, can't solve its own problems, and is in no position to lecture anybody else, whereas the Chinese have a wonderfully humane system which is following the rule of law, etc. It was a sort of talk where the Trump team or the Reagan team would have gotten up and walked out and treated it with total contempt. Instead, you can't tell paragraph by paragraph which one is a Chinese paragraph and which one is Biden or Harris or Blinken, the American Secretary of State. Biden and Harris and Blinken condemn America at least as much as the Chinese do. So you have this America last model where the Biden administration is committed to undermining America and the world. It's committed to appeasing Iran. It's committed to appeasing the Russians. It's committed to appeasing the Chinese. And if the American workers have to pay for it, well, tough break. And yet they can tell you with a straight face as they kill your job on the Keystone Pipeline that you're going to really get a great job creating solar power or wind energy or something, even though they know it's not true. First of all, you're probably not going to find the job because it doesn't currently exist. And second... If it did exist, it would pay a heck of a lot less, dramatically less, than you're going to earn if you're a pipe welder or some other technically specialized profession working on the Keystone Pipeline. And they just don't care. Because they are morally pure and represent the virtues of a post-American world, they have an obligation to lie to you because, after all, facts would be so narrowing and sticking to the truth would be so restricting that if they have to lie to you, even if you know they're lying and they know you know they're lying, they don't care. They just brazen it out. 
from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Finally, I just have to say, the great hope that the Democrats have, despite the most radical 100 days in American history, is that they will be able to so rig the election that they can win despite the American people by simply running over them. That's why H.R. 1, the very first bill introduced, is the Corrupt Politicians Act. It provides for taxpayers to pay politicians to run for office, something which Americans overwhelmingly oppose. It blocks states from actually checking identity, something which 90% of the American people want to have happen. In fact, there's a slow, steady migration now of more and more African-American leaders speaking out against H.R. 1 because, in fact, they're insulted. They think that the idea that the liberals believe that African-Americans are too incapable to be able to figure out how to actually have an identity, whether it's your driver's license or it's a document. For example, in Georgia, you can apply and get a document that identifies you even without a driver's license. And I think people will begin to figure out that H.R. 1, the Corrupt Politicians Act, was specifically designed to maximize the opportunity to steal the election. And that's why it's now mired down in the Senate, and I think it's going to get harder and harder to pass. So without getting into all of the other secondary effects, for example, of the fact that inflation is now starting in a real way, people are going to feel it in the gas tank, they're going to feel it at the grocery store, they're going to feel it in the price of housing. And I think the administration this most reminds me of is Jimmy Carter, because Carter combined a naive, cheerful incompetence with a whole bunch of staff who were very left-wing 
and the combination over time become a disaster for the Democrats. I think what we're watching is the unraveling of the Democratic Party as people begin to realize how unbelievably left-wing it is. And that, I think, is going to become a true disaster for the left. I also would point out that politics occurs over time and space. When you take a snapshot, it's a snapshot. Truman, for example, after the first 100 days, was at 87% approval. Remember, he's following Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who'd been elected four times. He is president during the last days of World War II. And yet that 87% collapses. And a year later, the Republicans win the Congress for the first time since 1930. Truman comes back and barely gets reelected in 48. And then Eisenhower is elected in 52, the first Republican to win since 1928. Eisenhower comes in very popular, but gradually over time, the Democratic Party rebalances itself. And by the 1960 election, they've had big gains. And by a very narrow margin, they elect John F. Kennedy. Kennedy takes the smallest popular vote majority, I think, in the 20th century. And within a few months, he's at 83% approval. People like his style. They like his personality. And then a year after that, as the economy begins to weaken, the Democrats suffer substantial losses in the Congress. But Kennedy's assassinated. There's a huge sympathy vote for the Democrats. Johnson wins. And 100 days after Johnson wins, he's at 79% approval. It's really interesting. When you go back to that early period after World War II, you have Truman at 87, Eisenhower at 73, Kennedy at 83, Johnson at 79. And then things start to slip. Nixon comes in. He's at 61% approval. Ford comes in. He's at 48% approval. And then Carter rebounds. Remember, Carter runs as an outsider. I was teaching college in Georgia when Carter was the governor. I knew Jimmy pretty well, and I watched his campaign, which was a brilliant campaign. If you study the campaign of 76, Carter was just brilliant at politics. The problem was that Carter didn't understand the real world very well. I mean, he was a nuclear engineer from the Navy, an Annapolis graduate, but who was also a peanut farmer from South Georgia. And Carter had this knack, a little bit like Biden, that he would be whichever person you needed. So if he's campaigning in South Georgia, he was sort of a George Wallace protege, right-wing, anti-Washington person. If he was campaigning in the suburbs of Atlanta, he was an Annapolis graduate nuclear engineer. But he didn't understand the difference between winning an election and governing. And the country was faced with big problems. And Carter had tiny solutions. So he finally gave a speech which got known as the Malays speech, although he never actually used the word Malays. But he gives this speech in which he basically says, all of us have to get used to living with less. It's just the way life is, and we just have to grow up and accept that. So Carter became associated with this idea. As Reagan said at one point, a recession is when your brother is out of work. A depression is when you're out of work. A recovery is when Jimmy Carter's out of work. And he became sort of the symbol of incompetent liberalism leading to Reagan rebuilding the majorities that we'd had prior to Nixon. And Reagan's at 73% approval. I always have believed that the 1988 race was actually Reagan's third victory. And George H.W. Bush goes in at 71% approval. But as an example of how fast it can change, Bush ends up leading the campaign to kick Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait. And in the late fall of 
1991, he's at like 91% approval, the highest I've ever seen. And I was in a meeting as the Republican whip with the president in the cabinet room, and he turned and he said, just remember, this is the high point. This is not going to last. Well, it didn't last worse than he thought it would. He ended up in a three-way race with Ross Perot and with Bill Clinton. Clinton at one point is running third between the three of them, goes on Arsenio Hall, plays his saxophone, seems like a nice guy, and begins to really gain momentum and wins. And Clinton starts at 59%, but within two years has collapsed enough that we win control of the House. Now, I just give you all that to say these things have a dynamic to them. You have to watch the dynamic. Biden's 52% could potentially go up or it could collapse. He could be down in the 40s or the 30s. If we get enough inflation, if we have enough illegal immigrants, if we have enough murders, there will come a moment when people will say, you know, you're a nice guy, but you just can't cut it. And this is a very tough country. This is a country that really wants the system to work. And it's a country that deeply does not believe in the left-wing values. It doesn't think it's systemically racist. It doesn't think that it should feel guilt-ridden when somebody gets arrested for committing a murder. So it's a fascinating moment. I just want to share my interpretation. We'll see what they do on Wednesday night. I was surprised to realize when he speaks Wednesday night, there are only going to be 200 people in the room. In fact, members have been told they can't come unless they're invited. And so the 200 available seats were divided up evenly between the two Republican leaders, the two Democratic leaders. But think about how pathetic this is. They can't find a way to have a normal State of the Union address with all House and Senate members there. I think it will symbolize the absolute emptiness of Biden's radical left-wingism. And I will be doing another podcast outlining my reaction to the speech. So anyway, fascinating first 100 days, more to come, and I hope you find this useful. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.